the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hail to the chief, to Joe Biden. He just his leadership, his vision, his inspiration made today possible. <laughs> Welcome back to the show, you guys. Hail to the chief. Thank you, Joe Biden, for making the current state of the country possible. We couldn't do it without you. Um, that was Nancy Pelosi, if you couldn't tell by her lovely voice. Welcome back to the show, you guys. This is Morgan Zeggers. Today we're doing another round of Q&A because I can't stand talking about the FBI raid any longer until we have more details. Right now, everybody's just ranting about it. It's one of the only stories really going on in the country. And we've covered pretty much everything else. So we're going to do Q&A one more time, I think. Because, hey, it's a little more uplifting than just talking about how the FBI just raided a former president's private home, right? When we have more details about it, we're obviously going to get into it. You guys know that. But I do not like to commentate on things beyond what I understand, beyond what I know, beyond what we all know. And I think... We would all benefit if we all behaved like that. I don't know. Just my personal thoughts. That being said, let's get into it. So this one, we're starting off strong, you guys. We have someone called Engine Head. <laughs> they sent me a message and said, what should the American people do to fight the Democrats' anti-American policies? Wham, that's a big question. Uh, first thing, I mean, obviously we need to care about elections. That's one of the big things, you guys. I know it's so frustrating. It is so frustrating to constantly be told by the GOP, by our party, by the politicians that this is the most important election of our lifetime. They say it every two years. And... For once, I mean, it's starting to become real how each election is becoming more and more momentous, monumental, and more serious in terms of protecting the entire future of the republic. And so when you hear politicians talk like that, yeah, some of them are just talking out their butts. But in general, for the most part, the people that are on our side, the people that are sincere, and when they are speaking to us, telling us that this is one of the most important elections we will ever face, they aren't lying, whether that's 2022 or 2024. So the first immediate and, and I think, more practical steps that seem a little daunting, right? They seem like a lot. Oh, sorry, I got a call. That seem as if, oh my gosh, we could never. The thing that could fix so much in this country is if we have a sweeping reform in terms of who we're sending to Washington, D.C., who we're putting into political office. And no, I don't just mean, oh, we have to replace Democrats with the Republicans. We all know that. Instead, we need to hone our practice here. We need to find our craft. We need to really evaluate who we are sending as a Republican, as a conservative, to represent us and protect the future of not only our, our communities, but also the future of the Republic. That is so important. I was, I can't remember who, maybe it was Charlie, but months ago, I remember I saw Charlie say something that had such an impact on me. He said, 
you know, probably 10% of Republicans in office right now could even tell you about the concerns presented to us by the World Economic Forum or the World Health Organization. They probably don't know. And then I started digging into it, and it's really true. I mean, for the most part, it's really the grassroots American people that, first of all, we're called like conspiracy theorists that are bringing awareness to the fact of things like, hey, communist China paid off developing countries for their votes to put a communist leader from Ethiopia in charge of the World Health Organization. They bought the votes and put this guy in office, and now he's doing their bidding and did it all throughout 2020. We, I feel like so many people on the ground know this, like the people around the dinner tables, you know what I mean? And then for some reason, there's this disconnect between the establishment GOP people that we send who think it's just politics as usual. And for the most part, a lot of Republicans act as if 2022 and 2024 is just politics as usual. So it's kind of like with Christianity and me dating. You either get it or you don't. And it's not that I'm like, oh, I don't want to date someone that isn't like me equally yoked fully, but it's more so of just, you know, like, you know, either get the fact that I and I want my future family to do the same. We live to serve a higher purpose. And it's all because of this wonderful sacrifice made for us, for humans, by our God. You either get that and you're, you totally get it or you don't. And one of my favorite sections from church actually last Sunday was the, the pastor, he said, he said, if you are not bowing to Jesus, you clearly just don't know what you're looking at. You don't understand what is in front of you. And I thought that was so great. So it's either like you get it or you don't. And if you don't get it, then you clearly don't understand the immensity of what is before you. So I think taking that into a political lens and not like, oh, I'm going to politicize Jesus, but more so taking that same lesson of some people just, they have their heads in the sand. Some people just don't get it. They really do think it's politics as usual. They should not be in Washington, D.C. They should not be representing our movement from a po powerful position in politics. We need people that understand that there are global efforts against us, domestic efforts against us, and a ground movement of people that are working against us as well. So, when we talk about politics, we really need to change who we're sending to D.C., and this matters specifically when we look at what's gone wrong. So when we look at, for example, this week I filmed Federalist 47, yeah, 47 with Connor on Freedom Papers at the Turning Point headquarters, and Federalist 47, written by Madison, is about separation of powers and Montesquieu who's really like the father of the concept of separation of powers, the three branches of government that we have. He looked to England's constitution and showed how, you know, there needs to be checks and balances and an interweaving of the branches. They shouldn't be completely separate and distinct. Uh, so it was a really fun episode. But when we look at the three branches of government, legislative, uh, executive, and judicial, I almost said educational. I say education so much in my life. <laughs> it's like autocorrect of my mind. But, um, when we look at these things, the legislative branch is supposed to be making the laws, is supposed to be handling the money that comes in from taxpayers. That's a very basic concept, right? The people that we elect that are supposed to be our voice of representation in the body of the legislature, most closely connected to the people, they are the ones with the most control. That's why Congress comes first in the Constitution before the other two branches.
So when we look at it from that lens of, okay, they should have the most power because they're the most connected and the most in check because every two years or in the Senate, every six years, they have to be reelected. Now, looking at what the founder said, it was a very simplistic approach to it. Okay. That it kind of took nothing into consideration for name ID, for ignorance in voting, for the fact that people don't show up to vote. The fact that like you could literally just be a career politician based on the fact that people don't pay attention to who they're voting for. They just vote down the line of their party and and not only that, but it's really just name recognition. So if you know the name of the person, you're much more likely to just vote for them. That's how you have people in uh, political office for decades. And then you just kind of entrench yourself. So when the founders talk about it in the Federalist Papers and in their correspondence when they were forming the U.S. Constitution, they're like, hey – the legislature is going to be completely in check by the people of the United States because they have to report back to the people and get reelected every two years or six years of what we now have with the Senate. And so, of course, they're going to be deeply connected to what the people want, and they would never really go as far as to disrespect the people in a way that would remove them from office and their, their spot in public service. So it's a little idealistic, if you ask me. And Connor and I, you know, it's hard to do the Federalist Paper evaluation because it's it. you don't want to disrespect the founders. I'm not saying that they that they were um, bad or, or wrong or, or, or ignorant in any way. No, 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 no. They were brilliant in so many ways, but now being able to look at what they envisioned versus what we have now, you see, oh, whoa, uh, they, we definitely uh, have strayed far from their intentions. We have fallen, sunken below the high bar that they set for the American population. Now, back to the point of this, so the separation of powers, this idea of the legislature, they have the most power, right? Because they handle where the money goes. They handle uh, what the laws are. What we're seeing now in America, and I love talking to people like Paul Gosar. I had him on Freedom Papers recently, earlier this year, I think. I had him on the show, and he's a congressman from Arizona. And he was explaining, like, if we wanted to truly restructure the government in a way that would bring it back to its constitutional base, we would need to elect people to the legislature that understand that the legislature has handed over its power to the executive branch. Now, what do I mean by that, and what does he mean by that? It means that through the agencies of the executive branch, so all the three-letter agencies, all of the bureaucratic uh, organizations like um, the IRS and the Department of Education and all these things, think of like Dr. Fauci and his organization under the executive branch. These are all executive agencies. But they shouldn't have the amount of power that they have, and unfortunately they have it now even though they're executive agencies under the executive branch, they have massive, massive power over our lives, which is crazy because we're a federalist system and we really should have a small federal government and most of the control of our day-to-day lives should be state or local level. That was the intention of the founders. Now, what's crazy is our Congress people became so lazy and the bloatedness of our federal government became so immense that it became hard to actually govern from a federal level all of the things, to legislate all of the things via Congress, to handle all of the funding because there's so much money. There's so many people. There's so many government initiatives and stuff going around. It wasn't really, they claim it wasn't possible anymore for the legislature to do it. So now they just write these huge bills that basically assign power that's supposed to be in the hands of the legislative branch to executive agencies. And then they sign a big check, a fat check 
almost like a blank check in a way of like, hey, we're going to give you this. There's really nothing that you're forced to do with it in the sense of where the money should go. We're literally going to allow you to make decisions with funds from taxpayers of America. That's exactly what the founders did not want. The people that were supposed to be in charge of making decisions that had control over the people and control over the money, they should be the people most directly tied to elections in our constitutional republic where we have elections every two or so years. When you hand over funding, massive ability to choose where money goes, and decision power like mandates and regulations that are basically like laws but not constitutional, aka like the mask mandates, etc., the the vaccine mandates, which were like uh, uh, workplace requirements or all these things for the executive agencies, that's not constitutional to do that. And it removes the ability to hold these executive agent people accountable because, for example, let's look at Dr. Fauci. You wonder how you see a story like the tortured puppies. Remember this? Puppies were allowed to be tortured, I think like halfway across the globe, on taxpayer dollars from American citizens. Our American taxpayer dollars were sent to a, a global study on a different part, on a different continent where they tortured puppies, put their heads in like cases with fleas in them, and then the bugs ate the faces of the puppies. You think I'm kidding, but it, it, it literally happened, and the story was huge. Once people found out, wait a second, there's American taxpayer dollars that were approved to fund this? Wait a second, this is tied to Dr. Fauci? Dr. Fauci approved this? How does this happen? Well, that's exactly what I just explained with Paul Gosar. For example, would a politician that has to be elected in your district, ever approve in a single bill, yes, we are going to send this amount of money to this foreign country so they can do a study where flies eat the faces of puppies. My district's going to love that. Absolutely not. No one would vote for that. No one would sign their name on it. But because we have just given Dr. Fauci and his group, his health group, the power to handle American taxpayer dollars and not have any accountability, really, That's how you end up with him being like, oh, yes, this is a very important thing that we must fund, the torturing of puppy faces. Are you tracking? So there's no accountability. And you guys have seen how hard. He's still in office. He's still in his position. He's the highest paid bureaucrat. I believe at $400,000 a year is what he makes. Taxpayer dollars is his salary. He's the highest paid bureaucrat in the United States of America. And he does things like send money, taxpayer dollars, to go torture puppies in his studies that he finds important. But if we went back to our founder's intention, the constitutional intention of only lawmakers tied to accountability via elections by the people every few years, then you probably wouldn't have this wasteful spending of taxpayer dollars. So Paul Gosar was explaining, we need, if we wanted to actually structurally change the country, we would need to have such a massive change of the mindset of the voters and a sweep of politicians sent to D.C. enough to actually vote away the funding power and size of the executive agencies that have been too powerful for too long. But the thing is, you need to make sure the American people are aware of this problem. Most people don't understand this. And then you have to make sure that they understand what the solution is. And then you have to make sure that you have a generation of leadership that's ready to enter and run for office, probably in primaries, against the swampy people that are fine with politics as usual. And so he says it would have to be a numbers game. 
I think it's totally doable long term. But most of the people that I talk to, uh, you know, on the inside of this political mess that we're in, we all understand that this is is generational. And so that brings me to really the the next phase of what should the American people do to fight the Democrats' anti-American policies. It's not just making sure that we're sending the right people that understand where things are going wrong and are willing to be confident and gutsy in terms of passing legislation and ending things that should not exist in the first place. But it also comes via the education of generations of Americans. There's already plenty of American generations that need to come to the realization that what's going on right now is unsustainable in our country and that a lot of the things we've been taught in public school and the, that the mainstream media teaches us and the things we think we know about history, a lot of it's wrong. And we need to have a serious course correction in order to go a proper direction for the future of the country. We have those older generations and a lot of people are working on it, right? But at the end of the day, we're never going to change things until we change how we educate the future generations of this country because we're on a course right now that is no good. And we're going to keep doing it to generation after generation. Now we have the next generation after Gen Z that's going to go through the same indoctrination, the same disgusting, corrupt culture, the same lack of responsibility in their upbringing so that they don't understand that when they, hey, when they get in their 20s and 30s, they need to take on the responsibility of being young and powerful and energetic contributing citizens of society. All of these things really need to change on a, on a very intimate personal, individual, and family level. And that really all stems to with understanding the restructuring in our heads of how we educate people, especially our own kin, our own people. So education does not mean sending your kid to public school. Whatever school you send your kid to, education should be a family opportunity to pass down lessons, to pass down wisdom, to pass down skills, and to pass down awareness of the world around us and the society that you're going to bring your child to eventually become a contributing member of, to be. And I truly think if we restructure and end this massive, dangerous complacency and ignorance in our nation, we would be able to elect proper leaders, to lead in a strong way with common sense and decency in a way that helps the people that need the help and prevents the people in power who are taking advantage of opportunities to divide us and sell these feel-good policies that actually continue to destroy and destruct. But with that being said, let's move on. (laughs) That was a long answer. Oh, someone said, how do you trust people in your life? Oh my gosh, uh, that's that's an aggressive one. I mean, if you get lied to, it really does break down your ability to trust people. But uh, one of my favorite things, you guys should YouTube this. I don't know where it is, but it's um, Jordan Peterson, I believe. And it's a video of him talking about the importance in love and marriage of trust and courage. Now, because humans are naturally flawed, right? I mean, that's a concept in mere Christianity, that there's a moral law, but there's also human nature. And so you do wrong things, and then you kind of, on the inside, you feel this gut feeling of, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. That's because you acted like a human, a flawed human, which is totally normal. And of course, you should try and avoid these things and strive for perfection in, in your behavior and your moral behavior, especially, but we're naturally flawed human beings. And then that moral law, that sense of guilt that we feel when we do commit, uh, commit acts against that expectation of morality it sets into us and it it makes us feel bad so 
the idea that we're flawed and that everybody's going to have their own problems, it means that people do lie. And so Jordan Peterson was saying, because it's always risky and you never know the outcome, it means that you kind of have to have some courage, right? You, you have to have some courage to trust someone with romance or with a partnership in business or really with any sort of relationship. Now, what continues to erode the ability to have courage and put yourself out there to trust is when you continue to lie. And it's really hard to have courage to trust someone again after you lie the first time. And so the moral of his video was about more so like marriage. So if you want a successful marriage and something that you can constantly have as the bedrock of a foundation that will last a long time, that you don't have to worry about, then you should not lie to your spouse because the lies then get rid of your courage to continue to want to trust and put yourself out there to, to keep that partnership with that person. So I, again, I'm totally butchering how he said it, but if you guys search that on YouTube, you could probably find what I'm talking about. And it was a really good video. I mean, I've been lied to, to my face in relationships and in business. And then I've had betrayals after the fact in both relationships and business. And it's super not fun, but I think they're all just good lessons of wisdom where you have to say, you know what? Humans are incredibly flawed in many ways and it's always going to be the case. And so how can I make sure that I kind of bolster myself against this kind of stuff. Okay. Keep things close to the chest. First of all, you always should. I, I hate this idea of like making social media a diary or even people that are just acquaintances, your diary. That's a good lesson for you guys. But in general, keep things tight to your chest and overall just be a positive person because no matter what other people do, I know that I can control my actions and my behavior. And even if I'm wronged, I always still want to be a positive and happy person. And that's what I've decided in, in all of the things, no matter what somebody else does, I always want to be somebody that tells the truth and is honest to someone and is open and is moral and is kind and is generally happy. And that kind of helps, even though you're obviously going to run into some problems. So when it comes to how do you trust people in your life, uh, you just have to have your guard up in a healthy way and understand that, that humans are flawed, but you can really only control your own behavior. That'll help you keep in check instead of, you know, trusting people that you maybe shouldn't. But again, it takes a really long time to do that. And even though when I find out now the same kind of stuff of, of betrayals or, or, a I trusted someone and then it turns out I probably shouldn't have trusted them or it was a lie and it was just a straight faced lie. It's really hard to register to me at this point because I can't imagine lying to someone. I feel this, this knot in my stomach of, of even just thinking about what it would be like to lie to someone in such an aggressive way. I truly can't do it. And so it kind of baffles me, but if I think about it too much, then I just get all frustrated of like, why would somebody even do that? (laughs) But I don't know. Let's move on. Next question. Do you get resistance to speaking at universities from Dale? Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of interesting. I mean, as I I get more into content creation in this way and more into the education space, more into the podcast, I'm doing freedom papers, doing the communism interviews, I really just don't enjoy traveling as much to all the schools. But when I was getting started in it, I would travel to all the schools. I went to Syracuse, NYU, um, a bunch of really cool, awesome places across the country. 
And now I kind of go sporadically. So like I was just in Austin, Texas for Patriot Academy at the Texas Capitol. That was awesome. I'm going to North Carolina in October for a sportsman speech. If you go to morganzeggers.com, I think the link is there. If you guys are in North Carolina and want to get a ticket for that, it's actually with Sheriff Mark Lamb from Arizona and Congressman Madison Cawthorn will be speaking as well. So it's the three of us, a little, <laughs> little power trio for you. But back when I would go to colleges, pretty much... I I don't know how to describe this, but my vibe is not exactly like a campus clash Charlie Kirk vibe, right? So I'm not going to campus to go argue with people. I'm more so there because I'm excited to talk to the more conservative leading students that want guidance, they want uh, career advice, they want more uh, advice from like a more feminine leaning woman that isn't all about the boss babe vibe. Like I love doing Q&As with the students, but it's more of like a mentor. I'm like 25, so I can't be a mentor, but it's more of like an advice peer to peer moment an opportunity to talk with the students i don't see it as some clash speech to attack leftists or liberals or whatever now that being said as my platform's gotten bigger for example when i went to colorado school of mines i showed up for a speech about history with the tpusa chapter there shout out to Lacey. and there's 40 students outside from this hurt the women's engineer club because they, the, the Women's Engineer Club organized this. 40 people are outside with these posters that, that accused me of being like against human rights because I talked about trans athletes and how they shouldn't be able to fairly compete against biological women when they're biological men who have gone through puberty especially. So they found these like old news clips of me and old news videos that I had done just literally sharing stories of different circumstances. Like one time a, a woman, a young girl was actually sexually assaulted in a bathroom by somebody who said they were a trans woman, but they were a biological boy in a skirt that went into the boys or to the girl's bathroom and then sexually assaulted, I think two separate women. So I covered the story. The women engineers club of Colorado school of mines didn't like that and called me a transphobe and a misogynist. The definition of misogyny is to hate and hurt women, by the way. So I'm a woman. Um, those were the kind of posters that they had outside. So their arguments just don't make sense. And actually from that 40 person group, when I went only one person from that actually came inside and him and I, I can't remember. We had a really serious conversation and we actually had a lot of common ground. And it's interesting to hear somebody who's respectful in their approach and their their value system. And so I, I would much rather have that. But again, you guys, only one person came in and we ended up having a really great conversation. He did a public Q&A and then we talked privately after. And I love that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? So that happens. But back when I first got started, it wasn't that people came to argue with me. It's more so that just like after everybody would sit down, There'd be like 10 or so or 10 to 15 people from like the Democratic Socialists of America group or the student communist group on campus. They'd come in, they'd sit down, they'd snicker and they'd sneer the whole time during the speech and they would make a big fuss and they'd interrupt and they'd be rude and I would just continue to be kind and continue my presentation. And I remember they'd ask the dumbest stuff, you guys, the dumbest stuff. Now, here's the thing. I totally have respect for young people that did not get the education they deserve on history, economics, politics, etc. I have a lot more patience with them, and I totally see how if they're getting the wrong education on these topics, and then they're hearing the messaging of AOC and the mainstream media and how we're so hateful, they just want to help people, they just want to help the poor, all this stuff, I totally understand how they could fall for it. 
And that's why I'm like, no, no, no. I believe they'd be on our side and we could find a lot of common ground if we just got them the information. We equipped them with the facts. So I have a lot of patience and uh, respect for them. I have absolutely no time for the flat earthers of economics that are the people that study Marx, read up on socialism and communism, and think we're actually going to do it right this time if we try it one more time here in America. I have no time. I think they are flat earthers of economics, and I won't even waste my time on them. That being said, they ask some really funny questions when you go on campus. I had one person, I think at Syracuse, and he waited and he asked me like, in front of everybody, he was like, how can you say that you're against communism when the USSR had such a successful GDP? (laughs) It's like, everybody's just silent after like, did he really just ask that? So, you know, I'll tell you guys what I said. I said something along the lines of like, well, I don't think that's really accurate. Uh, I never trust numbers, first of all, from communist regimes, because that's one of their main points is to put out propaganda and uh, mistruths to create a certain narrative of success as their economy and country is actually falling. Hence the the collapse of the USSR in a shocking way where everybody really didn't see it coming. Um, Two, I know that the economy was not doing well, and you could probably tell that by the fact that, again, it collapsed. Three, and most importantly, I, be, I care about morality. <laughs> I care about human dignity and human rights. I don't care what a country's GDP is if they are using unethical ways to create a successful economy. We can look at communist China, for example. They use slave labor. They used forced labor from their torture re-education camps. That, and they literally incentivize companies to build factories next to the re-education camps and then just bus the prisoners that are either tortured or forced to work that day over to the, the factories. And then they work for the day. And then guess what? Those products are often sold in America. Um, that's the kind of stuff where it's like, I don't give a crap how successful the GDP is in that nation. I want human rights, human dignity, and independence of the people. And then, guess what? Then we could talk about the success of that nation's economy. So that's why I love America. That's why I love capitalism, because capitalism is the power of the people. Capitalism is economic independence, financial independence of the people of the country. The government doesn't run everything and create everything and distribute everything. The people do. The people have the power. The people provide their things for themselves and they have a choice in their life. They have choice and autonomy and true freedom. When you can take care of yourself financially and with the items you need to get by day to day, you are truly free. That's why I don't like socialism. It's why I literally interview survivors from communist countries. And taking that a step further, that's also why in my own life, I'm very independent and seeking self-sufficiency because not only do I not want to be dependent on the government for things because they can fully control you and say you're not going to get X, Y, Z unless you comply with our new demands that we see that in every socialist and communist country. Just look at Venezuela and Cuba as recent examples. But I also want it in my own life because I don't want to be dependent on major corporations or global supply chains or anything that might be easily taken away from me that I have no control over. So I want full power over my life and the ability to take care of myself and the people around me. Um, Same thing with like self-defense and stuff. Like I just want to know how to do things. I was joking with my mom recently because we all have AAA. My grandpa pays for all the women in his family to have AAA because he just feels comfortable knowing this. And so even though I have AAA, I still like to personally know how to fix the things on my car. So like change a tire, for example. And I really want to know how to change my oil. I'm going to learn that 
soon. But my mom, for example, she's like, but why would you want to do that when you could just call AAA? And so people all see it differently. Like, I totally get it. Most people are like, why not just call AAA? I like to have AAA as a final contingency plan, right? But I would personally love to be able to just fix my tire on the road because in my eyes, I'm like, I don't want to be stranded on a highway in the middle of nowhere, especially when I live in a rural area and then have to be that lone woman on the road waiting for someone else to come help me. What if AAA takes quite some time to get here? So that's how my mind operates. And I think that totally makes sense when you consider the things that I do for work. The fact that I run a nonprofit called Young Americans Against Socialism. I don't like dependency. Okay. (laughs) But to end it, though, the questions that I get on campus are often wild and ridiculous and crazy. But at the end of the day, I don't pay much mind to what the actual leftists are saying, the people that truly want economic socialism after seeing how many times it's failed in our nation or failed in our world and led to massive devastation and millions of deaths. I have no time for it. I will not waste my time. Do not try and waste your time either. You're never going to change their mind. Focus on the people that they are also trying to reach and get onto their side. The people in the middle, the people that weren't properly educated, the people that would be on our side if they knew the facts. That's how I dedicate my time. Um, but I do like going to colleges. You know, I got a bunch of interviews or, um, invites this fall 2022 semester and i think i might do it including texas a&m i think i'll be going there in the fall so if you want to go i'll post and i'll let you guys know when i'm heading there <laughs> levi says where are the conservative women okay okay this is kind of you know a joke answer but i was thinking you know when i was walking through home depot one time i was like wow i'm kind of a catch for home depot <laughs> And it was because I was like renovating my house. I was doing all these little projects and I'm walking around Home Depot and I'm like the only female in the place, right? And the rest are these these handsome, strong, you know, they're tan because they're outside. They've got work boots on. They clearly know strong work ethic and they can work with their hands and they could do all this really great stuff. And they're clearly hardworking, providing men. And I'm walking around there like, do, 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 do. And all of them, you guys, were asking me if I needed help. And I remembered, you know, like, you know what? If I ever... If I ever was like really looking for someone one day and it was I was getting a little old reaching my my time where we're cutting it close on the the biological clock I was like I'm just going to walk around Home Depot. And then same thing happened at Bass Pro Shop and Cabela's. And I was like, you know, and if it doesn't work at Home Depot, maybe I'll walk around Bass Pro and Cabela's because I like those things. I like the values of the guys that go into those shops, you know what I'm saying? Same thing, guys get this. I went to this like Western Expo. I was in utah for a speech it was very fun i think i told you about it on previous episodes but it was it was like hunters warriors and athletes and it was nfl players and these big veterans from the veteran community and and um these leaders of their communities (laughs) and then these big hunters as well like really big names and then it was all these men right and they the event basically reached out to me and they were like we need a woman in the lineup we heard you're in utah on this date, will you please come speak? And so I brought the woman touch, right, to the the lineup of men. It was really funny. And I had a blast. But the event was in coordination with a really big hunting expo. Oh, yeah. So to the ladies out there, if you're single and you want to find a good country man that does all the great outdoors things and has good values, I would bet a pretty penny that you could walk around one of these hunting expos and find yourself a keeper. That is my philosophy. And I literally remember writing it down of like, go to expo in blah, blah, blah. If at 
in 2030, you're still single. (laughs) So I thought that was pretty funny. But if we're taking that, flipping it for men, what am I mean here by saying all these stories, right? All these different stores. All I meant by that is like, let's be practical. I personally want someone that likes the same kind of lifestyle stuff as me because I want our lifestyles to match up. I want it to fit. I want us to enjoy the same kind of things. We don't have to be the exact same, right? But the kind of hobbies you have, the lifestyle that you have, the things that you do on a day-to-day basis, the routine that you have, the things that you enjoy doing, all of these things accumulate the personality and the person that you are, right? And so being practical Think about, okay, where could I meet someone that also probably lines up with me? It's like when people say, don't go to a bar if you want to meet your wife or your husband. Because, well, why why do people go out and party with their single girlfriends and single guy friends on Saturday nights and get a little schwasty pants? They're probably not in that kind of phase of life where you would want to meet someone. And, and there's totally people that do. Like, I go out for a drink every once in a while too. But it's because it's like a rare thing for me. It's an exception. For the people, and like if you're taking this from the the probability of it, you're probably not going to meet as many people at a bar that are interested in that next phase of life to meet a partner as you would at a different location. So for men, thinking about this for women, I would really think about like, what are the hobbies that you love to do? What are the things that you like to do in your life? And what are the values that you want in a, in a woman? Where would you like to meet someone? And so that's why people always do the cliche of church, but I truly do believe that. I truly do believe going every Sunday to church, I love it so much. It's such a good reset for my week. It's a good grounding moment. And if I was looking to meet someone, I feel like it would be really nice to meet someone at church because you already know that much about them, that there's somebody that goes to church, right? It just helps you kind of um, go through a few of the hoops instead of going on like a a dating app or a, a swipe app or any of those random things where you kind of first have to like spend your time getting to know someone and then you have to ask all the hard questions of like, okay, are you Christian? Are you conservative? Do you want kids? Do you want to get married? Think about how you can avoid going and wasting all of your time on these silly situations where you aren't going to be equally yoked with someone. Now, some other situations where I have totally seen people match up and then it work out really well. And in my personal experience of like, oh, this is where I've met not just, you know, potential people to date or whatever, but friends. Like you're trying to create a social group, right? And then even if you get in that social group, you could probably get connections to people when they think, oh, I know this person really well and I know this person really well and I actually think they should go on a date, right? You're trying to build a community here. And that sense of community can really lead to introductions to good friends and a potential partner. So some of the ideas that I have is like um, outdoor clubs, whether that's like a shooting range or a bow range or shooting clay ranges. Like there's tons of fun people that I've met that I just really enjoy at all of these places. And if you have like a, a ticket to get into those ranges where you could just kind of swipe in and out, like especially the bow and arrow ones where you could just walk in and then everybody stands in front of their, their target. And it's kind of fun. It's a social gathering. That's a really great place to meet people on top of that thing. Golfing there's church of course, but there's also like GOP events, conservative events, tea party events, political conferences and political events. The young Republicans in every town, every city, they usually have get togethers. They have state events where you can get together and you're going to meet people that are more aligned with your values. So that's really what I want. I mean, even think of it like going to a black rifle coffee shop. 
you're not going to meet some crazy liberal woman inside of a black rifle coffee shop. So if you think about it a little bit, you're like, okay, I'm putting myself in this space of people that are more like me. And then hopefully I can build that network and be connected to someone that, that aligns with me and my values as well. And maybe we'll head it off. So, uh, I guess long story short, it's, it's really live the life and do the things that you love and that you would love for your person to also do. And it'll probably lead you to someone that's a lot more, um, in step with your list in terms of what you would like in a partner than just winging it and hoping that you'll meet someone randomly like at a bar or walking in a park or whatever. Now, speaking of which, I just remembered with Black Rifle Coffee, I'm talking about guns here. So I want to bring up Vara Safety. If you guys have not done this yet, how disappointing. Do you just want to make me sad? You need to go to varasafety.com because I am trying to make sure every person that listens to this podcast and then every family member and everybody in America has this new technology in their home. When it comes to self-protection, I prepare and train for fast access to my gun. I am five feet tall. I am 115 pounds right now. You know, I fluctuate. Let's be honest, ladies. I fluctuate. And either way, no matter what I weigh, I'm going to get totally demolished if I'm ever attacked by a guy. So I take self-defense very seriously. That being said, if I am going to carry a firearm, I want to be responsible. Gun safes are really great, but they are hard to access quickly in an emergency. That is why I am so excited about VARA Safety. They have something called the Reach 2S, which is different from standard gun safes because it looks like a holster, but it acts as a safe. It looks like a sleek metal holster, but your gun is literally locked in and secure. And then you mount it on a piece of furniture, like next to your bed, or you can do it in your vehicle. And as soon as you go to pull your gun from the holster, your thumb naturally lines up with a fingerprint sensor on the safe. And you draw from the holster and only authorized users. Multiple people can have their thumbprint added to this. So you can have like the mom, the dad, maybe a responsible uh, older sibling that is often in the home. They can all have their fingerprint added to this sensor and it will only unlock for those few fingerprints because of the biometric sensor on the holster slash safe. How cool is that? Every parent especially should probably have this because the stories can get pretty sad in terms of what can happen when people are neglectful of their firearm that they keep around the house. I feel so safe and secure with it because I know it will come out immediately, but I also have proper grip immediately and it eliminates the extra steps with gun safes that can take up some some really valuable time if, God forbid, you're ever put in a situation like that. But then you guys, to secure it back in, you literally just reholster and push down the lock. It's super simple. Again, this is the Reach 2S. It's the fastest way to get my gun and it checks all the boxes for security and reliability. Vara Safety, not only is this amazing with the product they offer, they're also from uh, right near my hometown in Saratoga, New York, and I am so proud of them. I, I love the team. They are young and vibrant and energetic, and they are trying to provide a solution for all of us out there that have been looking for something like this. So that's why I want to promote it so much. Varasafety.com. Reach 2S is the product. Okay, with that being said, let's do two more questions because I can't believe it's already been 40 minutes. Um, someone said, how do you advise a guy to approach a girl he is interested in at church? Hmm. Okay, I want you to consider the question that was just asked at church. So church is such an important community in your life. And once you find a good church, you really don't want to lose it, right? I mean, it's a really special place 
to go every week. I love my church so much. So really consider if you're going to ask someone out at church, you have to understand how important of a place that is for the people that are going. And if you like a girl, you should respect her enough to know like, hey, I'm going to be confident and I'm going to clearly communicate my intentions, whether that's just saying like, hey, I would really love to get to know you or I would really love to take you out on a date on blah, blah, blah. If she says yes, that's fantastic. If she says no, please understand that that is her church. That is your church. And maybe her family goes there as well. Maybe your family goes there as well. Either way, it's a very tight-knit community in the, in the for the most part. And it's a place where people want to go every Sunday and feel comfortable. So if she says no, please don't take that as an insult. Don't take that personally. It's much better for people to just be honest from the start and say, oh, you know what? It's just, I don't think we're going to match up very well, but thank you very much. Do not make it awkward after you're turned down, especially with someone at church, because you want to make sure that that's still an environment that someone feels comfortable to go to. So don't take that away from her. And if you're a girl, maybe approaching a guy, don't take that away from him by making it a super uncomfortable environment. Keep it cool. Okay. If she says no, she says no, but it's not the end of the world. It's just not your person. And you guys can both continue to enjoy the church experience together. Same thing goes for other environments like that. Keep in mind, like, People don't want to have something that they love to do be kind of taken away from them because of an environment that was a bit corrupted just because someone was upset that they asked you out and you said no. It's much better to just be honest instead of kind of tagging someone along for or dragging someone along, I guess, uh, for long when you could just say, no, thank you. I'm not interested. And then last question, someone asked, are you in Montana? I want a rural lifestyle too. Uh, No, I'm not in Montana. I really always saw it for myself of going to the Northwest for a mountain cabin one day, right? But I've talked to you guys about this before. When I saw the statistic that only about 7% of our lives are spent outdoors here in America, I was baffled. And I really, nothing made me question the move to a mountain colder place in the Northwest more than seeing that statistic. Is I want to build an environment on my property one day for all my kitties that allows them to be flourishing outside in a fertile environment, outdoors, barefoot for a majority, large part of the year. I do not want them to be cooped up from all of like fall where it gets starts to get cold and then all of winter and then most of spring and then have late spring to be the only warm season along with summer. I just really don't want that for my family environment and my future property and what I envision for my kids when I really would love for them to enjoy their time outside and really grow in that environment outside for the most part. I don't want them cooped up inside. And so that really helped me adjust what I envision. And that's why I'm looking more in the South. Um, but hey, maybe if we make it makes the big bucks one day we'll do a a mountain home in montana and a little ranch down south how about that okay let's see how that goes um but you guys i hope you have a great rest of the week thanks so much for listening and if you have any more questions feel free to dm them to me on instagram i'll talk to you later okay bye bye
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.